The Regenerative Hour. In The Regenerative Hour today, we'll be talking biology, food, health, and also mental health as we take a look at the different kinds of toxic chemicals that people use to kill weeds in their backyards and laneways, and also that the farmers are using to spray on their fields when they grow the crops that we eventually end up eating, and how this can affect our health as well as the health of the soil, how it's all connected. One of these chemicals is called glyphosate. It's used as a weed killer, and someone who has been doing a lot of research into glyphosate is the American scientist and researcher Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She's been interviewed here in the Sustainable and Regenerative Hour by the veterinarian Gundi Rhodes, who's written the book The Food Solution, Eating for Today to Save Tomorrow, and also by our roving regenerative reporter in New South Wales, Rusty. Over to you, Gundi. Dr. Senev, thank you very much for joining us here today on the Sustainable Hour. First up, you know, like I am so impressed of, you know, all your research that you have done. I read your book, you know, Toxic Legacy. Um, it came out a couple of years ago and um, I am reading it for the third time because it is, uh, there is so much in that in every, um, in every page. Can you just tell us how your research from computers ended up with glyphosate. Yes, it is kind of interesting. It's just, it, it turns out I had been exposed to autism many years back because my, my best friend at the time had a, a young son who got a DPT shot and had a bad reaction, uh, seizures a week later and was later diagnosed with autism. And I just kind of, it planted a seed in my mind that maybe, you know, you hear about the vaccines being associated with autism and so I was watching uh, autism going up every year uh, in, the, in the early 2000s, every year more. And, oh, we're just diagnosing it more. Don't worry. And, and I didn't think so. I thought there's something going on here. And maybe it's the vaccines. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. So I just decided, uh, you know, I have the skills to do some analysis of statistical analyses of correlations and things like that. And so I just started looking, you know, started trying to get data and looking for correlations with different things. Um, and striking out, actually, I worked for five years with vaccines being a hypothesis, and I still think they're a contributing factor. But I think glyphosate, uh, the active ingredient roundup, uh, in my opinion right now, it's the number one cause of the epidemic in autism and not just in autism, but in many, many other diseases and conditions that are also going up dramatically in the last 20 years. So I feel uh, very confident uh, that I'm right. The glyphosate is far more toxic than we realize and we're very careless in our use of it, and people consider it's perfectly safe. They can put it on their yard while their kids are playing, no protection. It's just, um, and of course, it's all over the food supply. And so um, I feel quite confident that I'm right. And of course, in my book, I explained uh, many of the mechanisms by which. So I, I basically, I love a puzzle, and biology is a huge puzzle, and I just dove in. I was just determined to try to figure this out. And so uh, I think the science is really, really fascinating. And um, I wish that more people um, knew more about biology. I find people's eyes glaze over very quickly when I try to explain uh, the mechanism or anything about biology. They seem to know nothing. So it's kind of a statement about the American educational system that they're not really they're very shallow in terms of their uh, educational exposure to biology even. And certainly toxic chemicals are something they don't want to talk about at all in the school system. They want to encourage you to believe that everything's great and these, these herbicides are saving, feeding the world, you know, all these uh, false arguments, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I could not agree more, you know, as a veterinarian and, and living in a little town where I've observed, you know, the decline of health in people more than in our pets, because I guess we mm-hmm. live longer. But I have noticed this. And in my town here, 16,000 people, there are 812 adults diagnosed with autism. Wow. That's, that's a high percentage, amazing. but that, those are only the adults that are in right. the disability scheme. And the kids, it's probably a rough estimate. It's at least one in 10. Wow. It, I can only, wow. from my observations, you know, like that's agree. That's so with frightening. So yeah. So um, what, like our, our Australian uh, listeners don't probably know much about Roundup either. Can you just give us a quick rundown of what it is, where it's used and what it does? Right. Yeah. So it's a, an herbicide. So it kills plants. And in fact, it kills all plants, except for those that have been engineered to resist it. And um, very powerful herbicide. And um, it's glyphosate is the active ingredient. Um, it's an old herbicide. It's been around since 1974, I think was when it was first uh, brought on the market. And before that, it was it was originally patented as a pipe cleaner because it could strip metals off of pipes. And that is part of its uh, toxicity because it, it, it chelates minerals and, and keeps them away from us. And so we get, defi- and even the plants, it, it doesn't allow the plants to take up the minerals. Our food becomes mineral deficient. And even in our, in our gut, our gut microbes can't get access to the minerals because they're bound to glyphosate. So it's messing up the gut microbiome because of that, in part because of that. So that's one thing, mm-hmm. but they didn't, they just discovered that it could, killed plants by accident. I think there was some story about it was accidentally exposed. A plant was exposed and it died and they thought, oh, maybe we can use this as a weed killer. So it was a later patent um, where they said it could kill weeds. And they also patented it as an antimicrobial agent. And they're actually proposing to use it like an antibiotic, which is interesting because indeed it does kill microbes. And in fact, it kills beneficial microbes much more readily than the, uh, than the uh, pathogens. And so we get a gut dysbiosis, which is something that has become, we've become very aware of, of gut dysbiosis in the past two decades. And you see a, a huge escalation in papers being published on the gut microbiome in those last 20 years. Uh, as people became aware that um, they do so much for us and when they don't work and lots of things go wrong. And so um, that's, I have a whole chapter in my book on the gut. Yeah, absolutely. And I must say that I, as a vet, see much more clostridium because nowadays we can send a PCR. The PCR for the listeners is, a um, oh, well, after COVID, most people know what a PCR is. So it looks for virus particles and bacterial DNA particles. And we see a lot more clostridium dysbiosis, you know, as you say, that's one of the bad ones that takes over. When Absolutely. And in fact, that one has been targeted for autism. There's a recent paper that just came out um, that showed this um, very, uh, very nice biochemistry where it showed that the uh, Clostridia species overgrow in this in association with autism, and they release these toxic phenolic compounds like P-Cresol. And those phenolic compounds travel to the brain and actually disrupt a dopamine processing. So dopamine gets blocked in its ability to get converted to epinephrine, which is adrenaline. And then that causes all kinds of problems in the brain. So they, this uh, author, uh, William Shaw, I think his name was, was very confident that this is a key factor in autism. Yeah, that is frightening. I heard statistics that the extrapolation would go that one in three children would be born with autism. 
that would be very horrible on uh, in any society. It would just about flatten the society, don't you think? I absolutely think so. And, and I've been saying that I, I, I did a projection of the curve because when you look at it on a log scale, log linear scale, it's actually a straight line, which means it's exponential growth in, the, uh, in autism over time. And if you just extend that line out, you find that 2032 is the year in which half the children born will end up on the autism spectrum. That is really frightening. And we're continuing to go up. I mean, every year I check and it's more and more something like one in 38 now in the United States. And, and of course, some towns have one in 10, like you do, especially mm -hmm. in New Jersey, where it seems to be the worst. So, uh, yes, it's very frightening. And it, it puzzles me that it's not a topic of conversation politically. You know, the, the, the government doesn't seem to think there's a problem, which is so strange, really, really strange to me. So I've been kind of shouting from the rooftops, but um, the government doesn't seem to care. It's really surprising. Older member of the society, um, how's it likely to impact on Alzheimer's and similar um, degenerative diseases like that? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I looked at. I have a chapter on the uh, nervous system in my book. And Alzheimer's is one of the things that I, uh, that I discuss. And in fact, I had a whole uh, section in that chapter that was very fascinating to me where I was seeing a mechanism that would make sense with glyphosate, but it got uh, killed by the editor. So that's not in there. But um, Alzheimer's is really fascinating to me. And I believe I understand what's going on there. And it's very different from, you know, they have this image of this plaque, you know, the amyloid beta plaque, and we just need to have a drug that will remove it and then we'll be good. And they're developing all these drugs and spending lots of money. And the drugs work, they remove the plaque, but they don't actually improve the Alzheimer's, you know, and they don't seem to figure out that that's not the problem, it's something else. And so uh, it's fascinating. I think it's actually a sulfate deficiency problem is at the core uh, of, the, of Alzheimer's. And in fact, there's the only sulfonated lipid is severely depleted. This, there was this whole series of papers. Uh, I think the guy's name was Han. It was a Chinese uh, from Utah, I think. Um, he had a whole series of papers, even going back to the 1990s, looking at pre-Alzheimer's. So people who later developed Alzheimer's already had this deficiency in sulfatide. And sulfatide is the only sulfonated lipid. And it shows up in the, uh, in the myelin sheath. And, and the neurons really care about the sulfatide to keep their myelin sheath healthy. And the sulfatide gets attacked by the immune cells and broken down because they're desperate. I think it's because they're desperate for sulfate. So uh, I talk a lot about sulfate in my book. I think that glyphosate is a train wreck for, for the whole sulfate system. Sulfation deficiency systemically is associated with all these diseases, in my opinion. And it's not something that uh, people are aware of. So um, I try to push that point about sulfate a lot. And, uh, and I recommend Epsom salt baths as a way to uh, renew sulfate, um, especially for people who have sulfur sensitivity, which many people do. And that, again, is because glyphosate is messing up critical enzymes. Uh, and it's always an enzyme that converts something toxic to something that's not toxic. And so mm -hmm. the toxic thing builds up because the enzyme's not working. And in this case, it's sulfite. And so sulfite sensitivity is a, is a very common problem these days. And so people avoid sulfur-containing foods, which, of course, increases their risk to sulfur deficiency. So it's yeah. a, a nasty cascade. Stephanie, can we just go back one step can you tell our listeners, you know, because most people are not even aware about glyphosate, they think that they can use it in their garden and they can use it, maybe the council uses it in parks, but where does it come into our food chain? You know, if you go right back to basics, can you just tell our listeners where we all are getting exposed 
and if we can avoid it. Right. Yeah. So the, the very big way to avoid it is to eat certified organic. That will reduce your exposure a lot. It won't disappear completely because certified organic foods are testing positive for glyphosate, even though they're not using it. That's because it's in the rain, it's in the air, it's in the water. You can't avoid it in our country anyway. In America, it's terrible. It's really everywhere. Um, they use it. Uh, in fact, the whole big rush, the big increase in glyphosate really started around the turn of the century, around 2000. Uh, when they'd introduced these GMO Roundup Ready crops. And these are there's the basic crops of the processed food industry, the corn, the soy, the canola, the sugar beets, and alfalfa. Those are the core crops that are cotton is also, um, and they have cottonseed oil, which is probably loaded with glyphosate. So all those crops are, are sprayed um, routinely, like multiple times over the course of the year. And you just spray the crop. You don't worry about getting the glyphosate on the crop because the, the crop has a resistance gene. And that resistance gene is quite interesting because they've taken a, a version of the enzyme EPSP synthase from a microbe uh, that is not sensitive to glyphosate. Normally, EPSP synthase just gets dead in its tracks when it sees glyphosate. It doesn't work. But this enzyme that's been inserted into the gene using you know, GMO technology of those crops provides a version of that enzyme that is not affected by glyphosate, which is very interesting. And I talked about that a lot in my book. I think it's in chapter five where I talk about exactly that mechanism and how that leads me to my theory that uh, glyphosate is uh, substituting for glycine, the amino acid glycine uh, during protein synthesis and messing up certain enzymes critically because they depend on that glycine at that spot to work. And that is certainly true for EPSP synthase. And these enzymes that are resistant don't have glycine at that spot. They have alanine. So they've swapped out alanine for glycine and that makes them completely resistant to glyphosate, which is a very strong clue to me that that's how glyphosate works by substituting for glycine. And if it's true, then you can see all the consequences that I talked about in my book for all these other enzymes that would also be severely affected. And if they're broken, it explains all these different diseases that are going up dramatically. So the whole thing, the whole puzzle fits together really well, in my opinion. I could not agree more. When I read your book, I, I had a lot of aha moments where I thought that's how that works, you know, just to sort of tell our listeners glycine is a little amino acid, which is like the letter in the sentence, you know, and if you take yes. one out and you put another one in, then the whole sentence doesn't make any sense anymore, which is our, you know, body's building blocks, you know. So the Stephanie, so the farmers in America and in Australia as well spray Roundup, you know, glyphosate before they sow, you know, to kill everything. So with the, um, they call it no-till farming to reserve the moisture. Right. But yes. can you tell us and about... also, of course, I should talk about after, right before the harvest, because I left and that then, out. The GMO crops is one thing, but yes. then there's the non-GMO crops that are sprayed right before the harvest as a desiccant. Yeah. And those are some major crops. Um, the wheat, um, the barley, uh, yeah. rye, um, garbanzo beans and chickpeas and lentils. Yeah. So what do they do in the food chain then? Is that in the, is when you spray out wheat before harvest, how high is then the roundup in the wheat that people are eating in their daily bread? It's one of the highest uh, food uh, contaminations. Uh, Canada did a really good service. The United States has tested almost nothing for glyphosate. They think it's safe. They know it's all over the food supply. They don't care. Canada got harassed uh, by Tony Mitra, who's a friend of mine. He's an awesome guy. He's an Indian born, but he's a Canadian citizen. He harassed their government for many years and they finally caved. 
and they measured glyphosate in some over 8,000 different food samples. And they got uh, samples of food grown in Canada and the United States and Mexico and Europe, you know, all these different imports from, uh, from these other countries. And so they had all these numbers for all these samples and he, and he, they gave all the data to him and he published a book called Poison Foods of North America based on that data. And he observed that, uh, that, that there were shockingly high levels in legumes. I think legumes were one of the highest of any crop and that's gonna be like hummus, you know, all these chickpeas that are considered to be really healthy sources of protein are gonna be loaded with glyphosate if they're not organic. And, um, and then also Canada and the United States had consistently much higher levels in their foods than Europe or Mexico. Mexico actually came in pretty much aligned with Europe, which was quite interesting to me. So if I can't find it organic, I, I'll, I'll try to find it from Mexico, you know, if I'm buying something. I'm very strict about buying organic when I shop at the grocery store. Yes, I agree. I do the same. And I, I you know, once you know, you know, and you just, um, you, you are so aware, aren't you, that by that bread that you're eating, that you think is healthy, what it does to your gut microbiome. Can you maybe tell us um, a little bit about your, have you got an inkling of what it does to mental health? Because mental health seems to be a huge problem in this country. And I yes. think there are some links in with glyphosate as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, autism is in a sense, I mean, certainly an issue of mental health, but you have also depression and um, ADHD and Parkinson's disease is something that's going up dramatically in step with glyphosate. Alzheimer's matches perfectly, extremely high correlation coefficient with extremely low probability of being by accident for Alzheimer's and also Parkinson's. There was a study on agricultural use of chemicals and correlating it with Parkinson's disease. And it was interesting because they had a whole bunch of you know, these agricultural people often are exposed to lots of chemicals. So you can always point to the other one. But in that case, um, they had all these different chemicals and they had correlations. And several of them were correlated, increased risk, like 1.3, you know, increased risk to Alzheimer's, I mean, to Parkinson's disease. But when they sort of corrected for the other chemicals that they were exposed to, almost everything went down, but glyphosate went up. So in other words, glyphosate was more dominant than the other thing that was there with it as far as its, uh, its, its uh, um, effect on the uh, Parkinson's disease. So I think it's definitely um, in Parkinson's disease. And even, you know, ALS, um, Lou Gehrig's disease. In fact, I've written a book about glyphosate and ALS, looking at the various uh, proteins that would be affected. So it's, again, it has to do with the sulfur a lot, I think, because the sulfate deficiency, I mentioned that with the um, Alzheimer's, the sulfonated um, lipid getting removed and becoming deficient in the brain. Um, the heparin sulfate is very, very interesting. And I've written about that uh, in the book and also in papers. I'm fascinated by heparin sulfate, and it's actually um, very important in the brain ventricles. Uh, the heparin sulfate in the brain ventricles during development plays a critical role in, um, in dictating the, uh, what do you call it, maturation of the brain. So the brain is, you know, becoming, uh, developing, and uh, the development of the brain depends, the migration of the neurons and all of this whole process that builds the brain depends critically on the heparin sulfate. And there have been many studies uh, on autism, again, going back to autism, of um, Uh, heparin sulfate deficiency in the brain ventricles in association with autism, both in human brains post-mortem and also in um, mouse studies. Multiple mouse studies have shown that. And um, there was a very recent paper that connected that um, problem in, in, with the heparin sulfate to sulfation uh, impairment. And that's what I say a lot in my book. I think this is really critical 
it interferes with the enzymes that add sulfate to things. And there are many different um, molecules that depend upon sulfation in order to be transported. These are sort of fat soluble, very critical fat soluble molecules like cholesterol, vitamin D, um, and then of course these uh, aromatic amino acids and their derivatives, which are the neurotransmitters. So dopamine, serotonin, melatonin, they're all sulfated when they're shipped out. And so um, they need to be sulfated in order to be able to uh, circulate. And that uh, sulfation pathway in the, in the gut is disrupted. And that's what this recent paper showed. I was so delighted to see that because I had been predicting it all along. And this paper showed it experimentally that the uh, phenol sulfation, and that's part of the reason for the toxic phenols uh, from the costidia, because the phenols can't be sulfated and that makes them much more toxic. Sulfation is a way to uh, solubilize these fat soluble molecules and the, the toxic ones can then go into the blood and get dumped out through the urine. But there's also all these critical, important, biologically active molecules produced by humans that mm -hmm. use sulfation as a way to get transported. And so to bring the serotonin into the brain, uh, you need the sulfate. So when you don't have enough sulfate, if you can't put the sulfate on the serotonin at the gut, it's produced in the gut from the tryptophan, which is also blocked by the uh, shikimate pathway. So glyphosate disturbs the pathway that the gut microbes use to make the tryptophan. And then the tryptophan becomes sulfate with human enzymes. I mean, becomes, um, sorry, <laughs> tryptophan yeah. becomes serotonin and serotonin needs to be sulfate in order to get shipped. And it can't be because of the disruption of those sulfation enzymes. And this paper showed dramatic reduction in the activity of these sulfation enzymes. And then in the brain, it's the heparin sulfate. You need the sulfation enzymes to add the sulfate to the heparin sulfate that enzyme was disrupted. They showed that in the brain of these autistic kids. And furthermore, heparin sulfate levels were very low. So it all makes sense to me. Uh, mm -hmm. This deficiency in sulfate um, is really critical for a lot of things. And, uh, and that that would link it to autism, but also to other um, neurological and even uh, you know, depression because serotonin is a critical factor in depression. And so, um, and of course, sleep disorder, because melatonin is critical for sleep. So many, many sleep disorders also going up dramatically over time. So I think all of these diseases that are becoming so prevalent, uh, I think glyphosate is a major player in all of them. I wrote a book called The Food Solution. You know, I, I sent you nice. a Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I am only a lay person, you know, I'm only a, a veterinarian in practice, you know, but my pathway ended me on the land. And so I looked into soil and, you know, soil and Roundup, that's where it's all starting, isn't it? You yes, know, like yes. what does uh, glyphosate actually do to the soil and what then does it do to the food chain? And yes. You know, like where it was interesting when I did my little literature researches, where does tryptophan that you mentioned before, you know, for the for the lay person, you know, tryptophan is meant to be in meat, you know, like I got yes. to uni, you know, eat meat. And then I read somewhere that actually cows don't make tryptophan, you know, so it's like, but that's the meat. And then I <laughs> rabbit holes and I found Actually, that those essential amino acids of which tryptophan is one, you yes, know, that that's right. the letters in the letters in the alphabet for the proteins are actually made by the microbiome in the soil, yes. and then it needs the microbiome in the gut right. to Absolutely. transform it. So that so we you, can you, yeah, you get some yeah. from your food, and that's coming. And even if it's from the meat, it's from the microbes that the cow has. And then, of course, you can get it from the plants as well, but they're all deficient because of the glyphosate. And then you're deficient because your own gut microbes can make tryptophan for you, 
but they're deficient also because they're exposed. And so the whole system and the tryptophan is deficient. But then on top of that, the, the serotonin can't be sulfated. So that's a double hit. Yes. Incredible, isn't it? You know, like I have dogs that are put on tryptophan at magnesium and suddenly they are different. You know, they go from aggressive. It's, it's interesting. That's very interesting. To, to really quiet. Yeah. Can you tell us about the chelating Uh, of and, and what you know, collating for the listener means you know that glyphosate grabs and doesn't right. let go. Where does, the minerals. This, where does this affect us? You know, like where, why is that right. important to us? Yes, well, it starts with the plants because the plants can't take it up. And I, I heard a lecture um, in 2012, I was at a conference and I heard a, a lecture by Professor Don Huber, a wonderful guy. He's over 80 years old and he's still very active. Um, he's done a lot of research on glyphosate. He was really, I think, the first person who was trying to make people aware that this chemical is much more toxic than we thought. And I was very fortunate to hear his presentation 2012. That's what began my journey with glyphosate because I had sort of dismissed Roundup as being probably not a factor in autism since it's so safe. And after that, I just dove in and the rest is history. But um, he, in his presentation that I was listening to, he showed, he had done experiments where he, had, he showed that these plants, the crops, when you When you expose them to the, the soil to glyphosate, um, their minerals go way down. The, the, uh, the levels of, of um, iron and manganese and zinc and, and um, copper, all of these things become very deficient. Magnesium, um, they're all, uh, these are the plus two cations. They get grabbed by glyphosate and then the, the microbes can't deliver them to the uh, plant. So the plant becomes deficient. And then of course we eat deficient food. And then of course in our gut, our gut microbiome uh, the lactobacillus critically depend upon manganese uh, as an antioxidant. They use manganese in a very interesting way. They don't care about iron at all, but they really love manganese. And glyphosate really grabs hold of manganese and keeps it from them. So they get sick. And they're one of the most sensitive microbes to, uh, to glyphosate. And they are, of course, they help the host to digest milk. Lactobacillus mm -hmm. is lacto, right? That, that's milk. They have several enzymes um, that specialize in, uh, in breaking apart, particularly proline, which is an amino acid that is stubborn. It's hard to break it apart. And the lactobacillus have these enzymes that can separate proline from the chain. And uh, if there aren't enough of those enzymes, then you have trouble digesting, especially proteins that are high in proline. And that's going to be casein and gluten, those two proteins in, in wheat and milk that are so... So many people have casein intolerance, gluten intolerance. They go no dairy, no wheat. You know, they go on these very restricted diets uh, because they can't handle those foods. And I think that's a major problem that these uh, peptides are not getting broken down and then they become allergenic. You know, your immune system sees that as a foreign protein. And then through molecular mimicry, it starts attacking your own tissues um, because they resemble that peptide. And that's how you can get all kinds of autoimmune problems as a consequence of eating wheat or milk, which are two very basic foods uh, in our diet. Can I just emphasize that you said allergy and autoimmune. Can you explain that to our listeners, how that happens? Uh, yes. Well, of course, these things are very complicated, but, it's, but I think there's a major aspect, a major form of autoimmunity has to do with undigested peptides from your food. And so your body, you know, your immune system learns to recognize self versus other. It actually, all the, um, it's so fascinating because the, uh, in, in the thymus, you know, the, all these immune cells sort of uh, become specialized in particular peptides. And then if they become specialized in a peptide that is a human protein, they get killed. 
so they don't survive. So you, you read out all the ones that are matching the human proteins so that then the ones that are left are going to be able to see when a peptide sequence is not something they recognize in human protein must be foreign. And then they want to attack it and remove it. You know, they have this, they're very sensitive to foreign peptides showing up in the blood. That glyphosate produces a leaky gut barrier and then it causes these peptides to not be digested. So you have these short peptide sequences that contain, you know, proline get stuck. They can't get broken down. And then those past that leaky barrier get into the circulation. And then the immune cells react to them and produce antibodies to those peptides to help the, the immune cells to remove them. And then if there's another human protein that is very similar, maybe just one amino acid different, you know, seven amino acids in a row, the same seven, except for one in the human protein, these uh, antibodies can get confused and attack the human protein instead. And that's the autoimmune disease. And it has to do with having too many antibodies, you know, antibodies to uh, foreign proteins that are high levels of antibodies to foreign proteins that are then attacking the human tissues it becomes a, a problem of not being able to, no longer being able to distinguish self from other. And then you get all these symptoms of these various autoimmune diseases. Yeah. So the, the leaky gut that you mentioned that lets substances through that normally shouldn't get through, glyphosate, I heard Can you confirm that, that it just destroys the tight junctions between the cells? Yes, it does. That's been shown experimentally, yes. Yeah, so Zach ripping Bush. apart. Yeah, Zach yeah. Bush is the one who did that. those studies. He has more than has at least two papers that have been published on that topic, and he showed it experimentally, that it breaks those, those tight junctions and then things can get through. Very Ooh. serious problem. Mm, I saw the pictures. It certainly would explain a lot because I see a lot of dogs, increasing a number of dogs with uh, skin allergies or mm -hmm. ear infections. And of course, in people, we do see rheumatoid arthritis, you know, which is part yes. of autoimmune or whatever, you know, asthma I would put into that. Very big. Uh, yes. Asthma is also linked to autism. Autistic kids have higher rates of asthma. And eczema, you know, all of these are connected. They're all uh, autoimmune. Autism, I think, is an autoimmune disease. I would call it an autoimmune disease. Yeah. It's it, an autoimmune attack on the brain. Yeah, it's terrifying. Stephanie, do you get, um, you know, like I, I heard that people in America in particular get attacked very badly when they start talking about the big money spinners in agri in agriculture. Have you got that experience? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> I've learned to ignore it. Yeah, I've, I've, there's some articles out there that are really uh, atta attacking me viciously. Yes. Um, I just, I don't even look anymore. I don't want to know. I, I attack, um, you know, uh, I, I started with statin drugs when I was studying um, different problems and I wrote, uh, got involved with statin drugs and I really think they're very toxic and, uh, and the pharmaceutical know. industry didn't like me either because of that. So. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations. You're a very, very brave woman uh, to, to go out there because, of course, there is a lot of money interest in those agrochemicals, isn't there? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's interesting how the money uh, controls the government and, and the media. The media are afraid to speak out. Everyone's afraid. It's really a sad situation. Most people seem to be able to um, embrace what the media tells them, which is quite surprising to me. Yes, And there is such a deep destruction, you know, through glyphosate in our environment too. You know, like I always try to marry the, um, there's destruction in the environment and then there's destruction in us and in our pets and in our animals. And actually the reason for that is all 
that for three billion years, evolution has done very well in pulling us all through life and, and making us reproduce and everything was pretty perfect. As you say, our bodies are such a perfect puzzle. And then suddenly we come in with these sledgehammers and then wonder why we are so sick. And it's not a conspiracy as, mm -hmm. as just a destruction of, um, of our health. If, if we acknowledge that people are selfish in their own right, you know, then hopefully the message that by us eating organic food and avoiding all of those toxins, you know, food from healthy soils, then we can heal us. But can you just talk in the beginning of your book, you talk about the destruction of the environment. And mm -hmm. I think we are getting as humans, hopefully we are getting the message that without an environment, we cannot live, survive. Right. right. Or, you know, I, I, our survival. Can you talk about the destruction of Roundup that glyphosate, you know, the active ingredient yes. does on the environment? Well, I, I would single out some of the uh, insects because the, uh, the bees, of course, are in really big trouble. And the bees are so essential for, for fertilizing the crops, you know, the, the flowers to, to um, allow them to, uh, to make new seed, you know. What does the Roundup do to the bees? It kills them. I think, I think it's very clear to me that Roundup is a major player. Uh, they, they, they do think that the, you know, insecticides are a factor, which would make sense because bees are insects. But um, I think that's true. But I think that uh, glyphosate is a far bigger player than they realize. So very few people are pointing to glyphosate for the bees, but there have actually been papers written, again, showing that it disrupts the bee microbiome. And it actually um, causes an autistic-like behavior. The, the bees actually get, get confused. They go out on the field and they don't remember how to get back. It's almost like Alzheimer's. Um, that they can when they're when they're trying to fertilize a field where glyphosate's been used, they're getting exposed to the glyphosate and it's making them sick. I think, and of course, the monarch butterfly is the other one. The monarch butterfly's major source of food is a uh, is milkweed, which is a uh, a weed that grows in the corn crops, and so they're using glyphosate heavily to kill the milkweed. And then, so one of the arguments is they don't have enough food, but I don't think that's the real problem. I think they're getting poisoned when they eat the milkweed. And the monarch butterflies have just collapsed. They're down to something like 5% of what they used to be. Um, they used to be very common, and I, I rarely see one now ever. You know, it's a, it's a joyous occasion to see one monarch <laughs> these days. They're just so, uh, they've practically disappeared. And it's just very, very sad. So, and of course, all the insects and the birds too. I mean, all of the, um, all of nature is really uh, disappearing. Um, and it's going to be a huge crisis if we wipe out all the insects because they're really the base of a lot of um, the food chain and whatnot. You know, the insects are very, very important and we don't seem to mind that they're disappearing. <laughs> it's a serious problem. Yeah, I, I read in Germany they are down by 75%. Mm. It's, uh, it's very sad. And it's funny how to me people don't seem to think there's a problem. Like People just go about their lives as if everything's fine which really puzzles me when you see all this evidence. And of course, you know, in humans, we have a huge problem, with, a huge and growing problem with obesity in our country. There are so many people now that are so obese. You would, if I were a child, when I was a child, if I saw a person like that, I would be gawking because it would be so extraordinary. You know, it would be like a circus, like in the circus. I just, the people that are quite common these days that are just really hugely over, over, overweight and I think that's a, also uh, glyphosate, I think, is the primary cause of that. And that, of course, obesity epidemic is also going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage. And diabetes yeah. goes with that. 
Yeah, I figure the the whole destruction of the agrochemical system, you know, and glyphosate is one. And as you say, it's probably the most evil, I always call it the most evil little molecule on the planet Earth. It's far further than that also, isn't it? It's like 2,4-D and dicamba and paraquat and insecticides and herbicides. Yeah, and what I see is that the soils are dead and that the specialists are saying we have maybe got 30 or 60 harvests left. I I think it's probably less. And mm. and pumping up of we have what we have to do is then more chemicals, urea or right. or in you know to to crop protectors, which are more chemicals to keep the crops alive. You know, the destruction mm. is just so, so deep on our planet. And I love mm. your that you say just eat organic. Mm-hmm. Um, so organic, what means organic? Well, that could be a problem too, because it's a certified organic in the United States has a set of requirements. And one of them is you can't use glyphosate. You can't use any of the herbicides and insecticides and fungicides. So that's really good. And assuming that people are honoring that, and to what extent are they being policed? You know, people could, uh, people could cheat. They could think, well, no, nobody's going to notice if I do this, and therefore I'm going to try to get by with it. I don't know to what extent they do that. I'm hoping very few. I know there have been some um, outright fraud where something comes in that's not organic from someplace else, and then it gets switched to being organic. You just put an organic label on it and ship it along to the consumer. I have heard that that has happened as a fraud. So there, clearly, it's really outrageous what they're doing. Uh, I think for the most part, I'm hoping that, um, and of course, even the organic label isn't perfect. You know, it, it still allows some things that you wish it didn't. And they're always trying to change the label to make it looser so that, you know, more things can be done to uh, make things easier for the farmer. So there's always this pressure between the people who are trying to keep it all away and then those who want to have a more uh, an easier way to grow crops. So there's a, a battle going on there. But I think for the most part, eating organic is going to help a lot. Um, and of course, also whole foods. There's all the processed foods are so depleted in nutrients. And there are all these, you know, special molecules in plants, all the polyphenols and flavonoids, you know, that are very, very uh, health giving. And those don't show up at all in soy protein bar, you know, they're gone. It's just a basic uh, soy and um, sugar, you know, it's just really uh, pathetic as far as the nutritional value of something like that. And then my research showed me that even the polyphenols and the alkaloids are also produced mainly by the bacteria in the soil. Yes. And, and so of course, the, using enzymes that are disrupted by glyphosate. Exactly. You know, so the bacteria are dead and then the food chain is just so empty. Um, like the B vitamins and the supplement industry is, of course, very happy about this. Yes, yes. So many people are taking all kinds of supplements and uh, I've resisted that. I have, I have hoped that it's the case that if you eat healthy food, you don't need to take supplements, but it may not be true because of how depleted the soil is. It may be that it's absolutely necessary in the modern world to stay healthy, to eat, to take supplements. Um, yeah. I don't like the idea. You know, I like everything to be natural and in, in the natural environment that it comes with. The food is a combination of things that have been perfectly uh, assembled by the plant to be extremely nutritious. And so, um, you know, I like the idea of getting the nutrition strictly from the food. Uh, yeah, whether it works or not in the modern world is not clear because of all the depletion in the soil. So that's a problem. And, and do you think soil can come back to life? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've certainly communicated with some people who have some ideas that seem good. And it's a lot, you know, treating the soil is a lot like treating the gut. 
they put in probiotics, they put in minerals, you know, they sort of add these um, things to the soil to help to renew it and to um, restore its health. And of course, the soil is also becoming much more easily eroded because of the glyphosate. And, and the plants are much more uh, uh, susceptible to drought because of glyphosate. So those are also working badly against us. But the, uh, you get the soil, uh, the topsoil is eroding very quickly when you get a heavy rainstorm. It washes it away because it doesn't have enough of that organic matter to hold it together. So we're losing topsoil at a very high rate, which is, again, a huge problem for the health of the, of the plants that are growing in that de depleted soil. Yeah, I always remember when I watched um, Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar, and uh, I don't know if you watched the movie, but he had an America or a world that was completely depleted of topsoil. Oh, interesting. That's I didn't know about that movie. running away and there's just one genetically modified corn in the laboratories. And if this fails, we'll all die. Hence, <laughs> we go to some other, you know, like it's, I could not hardly watch the movie because for me, it was so scary because it is so close to the truth. Yes. Um, yes, and I, I think, think so. the normal person does not realize that how bad it actually is. And and but I I hear a lot of hope in your voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, <laughs> I, I oscillate between hope and despair. I would say <laughs> I want to have hope, and I want to believe that if we can just uh, recognize the problem, and uh, and I believe America in the past has been able to change very quickly once they realize that they need to do something. And so I'm hoping. We're getting a lot of grassroots effort. There's a lot of activists who are uh, talking, you know, doing podcast interviews and things like that. There's a lot of messaging out there from people who care. Um, mothers, you know, like Moms Across America, Zen Honeycutt, um, people canvassing and trying to get the message out that we need to do something about this, that it's urgent. And I, I'm hoping some enough people will become aware that um, we can start to really take action, grassroots, bottom up. People are doing, you know, locally talking to their government to get rid of the glyphosate on the playground and that sort of thing. So a lot of activity going on uh, at the local level. And yeah. of course, just the organic is growing. So there's um, we, America cannot possibly keep up with the organic demand right now. We import a lot of our organic food because there's so much more demand than there is supply. And mm -hmm. you would hope the farmers might figure out that they should convert to organic so they can be a part of that um, prosperous pathway as their own foods are being rejected by people who become aware. So I'm hoping. The farmers turn out to be the central person for our planet to, because it's so much landmass. I think 40% of landmass on planet earth is under agriculture. So they really need help to, to learn the ways. A lot of farmers I talk to, Stephanie, and how do you talk to farmers? You know, they say, and I live in an area where there's a lot of farming. We can't farm without it. We don't know how. And then the, in my eyes, misconception that, oh, it's fine. You can drink it. I know. <laughs> no, you can't. You know, like, but how can we help farmers have you got any thoughts on that you know to a convince them that they are self-destructive but they need, i find they need help you know they are just humans like you and i that want to do their best but it's it's terribly hard for them to get off that treadmill uh yes and i do think they've just learned how to grow grow food this way and they don't know another way and so if they could be taught another way they would they would be able to do it. 
And I know farmers who are really uh, figuring out how to how to grow crops without chemicals. And um, in fact, you know, for example, just having a, um, a cover crop over the winter with lots of, with a variety of, of different crops growing in the cover crop. Uh, and then you basically mash down the cover crop uh, with a machine, you know, that mashes it down uh, to sort of kill it. And then you puncture through the cover crop to put the seeds in and you can actually, the cover crop can then become protection against the weeds. And so that's a technique that can work that isn't going to be terribly expensive. And um, and I know a farmer, I don't remember his name, I should, Ben Dobson, I think is his name, Ben Dobson, um, really great guy who's who grows uh, corn and soy, which are GMO crops, but he grows, you know, organic corn, organic soy using these techniques and uh, pretty efficiently. Is there an inherent danger of people eating genetically modified crops even without the Roundup? That's a good question. And I think uh, Sarah Lini actually did a study, and that was one of the first studies I read after I learned about glyphosate. Um, nice study where he had uh, rats and he exposed them to low-dose uh, glyphosate. So it was GMO crops with and without the additional glyphosate. And so it was basically a GMO organic, <laughs> you know, has the, has the uh, gene but doesn't use it. I think he had one like that. And then he had the regular crop and then he had the GMO exposed to glyphosate. And then he had a separate glyphosate only, I believe. I'd have to go back and look, but he had different combinations of things in his study. And all of the different rats, except for the ones that had the totally organic diet, had problems. So even without the glyphosate, uh, there were problems with just the GMO. Which and problems? Well, you know, they, they, had, they all had a lot of similar problems, which had to do with... Um, Massive mammary tumors in the females and um, liver problems, liver damage, uh, kidney damage, reproductive uh, issues, shortened lifespan. Mm -hmm. And I think they all had those kinds of problems uh, with all the different categories of, of rats besides the ones that were eating organic. What a deep problem we have. Huh? Yeah. I'm aware of the time, you know, that we are, that we are quite, quite uh, have been talking for quite a, I could talk about this with you for, for <laughs> weeks on end. And, um, and it just is very um, so interesting. And so con, um, you know, like I can just tell people, you know, get the book, you know, it's, um, it's, I'm reading it the third time because there's so much in it. And even if you don't understand the um, the ins and outs of biochemistry, you know, like, and, and I did study biochemistry at vet school. So I've got some fundamental knowledge, but I could, oh, right. Okay. There's another page, you know, where another pathway in the body is destroyed. There's another yes. pathway in nature that's destroyed, you know, and this is just one, one chemical of so many. You know, they I know. We have all these other chemicals as well, and there's a whole toxic soup, and they interact with each other to make each other worse than they would otherwise be. It's terrible, and we've just got so much sickness now in this country. The kids, I mean, we have over half the kids have some kind of autoimmune disease or, you know, chronic disease. It's just terrible. They're so sick. It's It really breaks my heart. It does mine too, yeah. I think for me, that's why I keep doing and, and talking about this because yes. it's customer that comes through my door and that the young mother that has got one or two autistic children. It's um, so awful. I know I, my heart goes out to them because their life is so changed by this child that they really have to become focused on you know, advocacy for this child and trying to do everything they can to make its life uh, as good as it can be. And it's just, uh, it's just really sad. Yeah, I hope that your voice will be heard mm -hmm. and that Robert Kennedy will be Oh, that would be so wonderful. <laughs> it would be so wonderful. 
and that it's not a conspiracy theory what he's talking about. It's science and nature and that, that uh, people like you will be heard and taken seriously. And, yeah, and, and the big message is, you know, let's bypass governments and big pharma and just eat organic or grow your own and, and your health will recover quite miraculously. Yes, and I really think grassroots bottom-up is the way to go because the government is really entrenched in this wrong theory. Um, they're so bought by the industry that they just refuse to even look at the problem. It's very sad. It's Stephanie, we've, okay, a number of people are rejecting the, the red meat. The yes. Cow, and they're saying, well, I'm switching over to plant eating. Yes. That is, let's pick, use soy as an example. They're being sprayed as well. So oh, no, I know. The the plants are effect. certainly going to give you probably more glyphosate than the animals, I would guess, because it's a direct source rather than indirect. Uh, I, I think I, I've watched this vegan movement, and I'm not happy because a vegan diet is not a healthy diet, in my opinion. I think animal-based foods are absolutely essential for good health. And um, I could just use taurine as an example. Taurine is an amino acid, the most common. I think it's the most common free amino acid in the body. It's a sulfur-containing amino acid. It has a sulfonate, which makes it very accessible to make sulfate. And I think it's super important, and it's not found in plants. No plants contain taurine except for the uh, sushi uh, seaweed. The seaweed of sushi contains taurine. It's the only plant. So if you're on a plant-based diet, you're going to be deficient uh, in taurine, which is a critical nutrient, just as one example, but choline and so many um, minerals and vitamins. I mean, meats are, are very uh, healthy foods. I, I think um, you shouldn't try to live without meat, in my opinion. <laughs> yes. And of course, in, uh, you know, I'm very entrenched in the regenerative agriculture movement, where everything is centered around uh, macropods, you know, let's call uh, our cattle macropods, you know, like big animals with big feet trampling organic matter back into the ground, right. reviving the soils like you used to have in America where the big herds of bison would go down the center of America and making these deep fertile soils. Mm -hmm. And so in, in my humble opinion, you know, restoring of carbon in the soil and soil fertility nearly has to center itself around, you know, big mobs of, of herbivores going through the, um, the landscapes. And I totally agree. Oh, That's right. I yes. am. I'm nearly saying eat more meat. You know, like not yes. not eat less less meat. And when it's so hard for the farmers, you know, to grow a crop without chemical input, you know, with yes. healthy soil, you know, that is plant based, it's mm -hmm. much easier to how you know. In a, I used to be a cattle farmer. You know, like to yes. have, they eat themselves. You know, they find their own water. If it's too hot, they and go. they eat the grass, which we can't eat. So we're actually turning grass into nutrition that we can eat. You know, yes. very healthy nutrition. Yes. There's a lot of grass. You know, many parts of the of the of the world are uh, grasses, and it's hard to grow crops in places that are grasslands. But to put some cows on there, you turn the grass into useful nutrition for the humans. So I think they're terrific. Uh, Grass-fed beef is one of the healthiest foods you can eat. Yes. Can you just, before we wind up, could you just quickly talk about grass-fed versus grain-fed with glyphosate in mind? Well, yes, of course. And of course, uh, as long as you're not using glyphosate on the grass, because they do have actually a glyphosate-resistant grass, which I'm terrified to think about. But <laughs> as long as the grass is not being sprayed with glyphosate, it's a much healthier food for the cow. It's its natural food. Uh, so the corn and the soy are, are not at all um, 
appropriate for the cow. But then on top of that, they've got the poisons from all the, the uh, agriculture, chemical-based agriculture. The cows are getting poisoned. And in fact, I, there's some papers that I've read uh, about cows in Europe um, where they, the cows were sick and they, had, they tested for high levels of glyphosate in their urine. And then they talked about how they tried to help the cows uh, to recover. And, um, and they, they, they gave them um, bentonite clay and um, organic matter from the soil, like uh, yeah. ulvic acid, acid, bentonite clay, and, and sauerkraut juice, which was quite interesting, uh, was what they used to try to heal the cows. And then they showed the cows uh, got better and their glyphosate levels dropped in their urine. So they were kind of trying to figure out how to recover their health, ways to um, which I think would apply to humans as well. So I recommend that for humans to try yeah. to recover from glyphosate poisoning. Yeah, it, it's fascinating, isn't it, that we did not know much about the gut microbiome in humans until, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Right, yes. As a veterinarian, I have always dealt with microbiome in in uh, rumen and in ruminants and in the hindgut courses. And, and yeah, that... Um, since we have known that Roundup glyphosate is an antibiotic, of course, that puts a different spin on all the microbiome in the rumen or in a horse. And you wonder, you're like, what does it do to them? I have, I have fattened up a lot of cattle that were dying and horses that mm. were dying of um, not having their microbes because they are yes. the ones that are splitting up the cellulose for them. So without them, they will starve to right. death. And uh, so giving them microbes and then but putting the glyphosate in there as an antibiotic is just mm. so very counterproductive, isn't it? Oh, it's terrible. And I don't know why they don't see that. It's so many uh, cases where their cows are sick and they don't know why. And it's just very frustrating. Yes. I heard another uh, about the you know, lactobacillus, lactobacillus reuteri, I think it was. Yes. Uh -huh. Upregulates up oxytocin. In yes, the gut. yes, so it makes that's right. Yes, like the, the reverse, then cutting down on the lactobacillus and down regulating our gut feel or our feel good, feel good or, yeah, hormone. hormone. Yes, and you see, you know, you see so many people are angry, and um, um, and we have a very high murder rate in this country, we have these massive shootouts. I mean, it's so people are really psychotic, and I think that's also connected to the glyphosate poisoning. Just the uh, the depression and the uh, and the anger, aggressive behavior, they're yeah. I think they're connected to the disruption of the hormones and oxytocin is probably one of them that are getting disrupted. Yes, and in your book you talked about testosterone and estrogen and the yes. aromas. Can you? That's just very interesting. Yes, that's a pretty simple <laughs> um, mechanism where aromatase is a, a cytochrome P450 enzyme, and glyphosate has been shown to suppress those enzymes. That whole class. And aromatase, and it's also been shown specifically to suppress aromatase, and aromatase converts testosterone to estrogen. And so you have, a, there's a theory about autism being kind of super male because there's too much testosterone. And I think what's happening to both the girl babies and the boy babies is that they're exposed to too much testosterone in utero during development. And that actually causes a problem in the girls. It actually causes polycystic ovary syndrome which is another disease that's going up dramatically. That condition is now quite common among women. And it's a very, uh, it's the biggest risk factor for um, infertility. So uh, that all becomes a problem for the girls, but then the testosterone not getting converted to estrogen for the boys is what can lead to autism. So that's connected to, uh, to autism. Mm, and another common one, endometriosis, that fits mm -hmm. into your order. Yes, and that, that's actually a very uh, 
common, very strongly associated with polycystic ovary syndrome. They go together, the endometriosis, which is also something that's becoming very common and is associated with inability to, uh, to, to get pregnant or to keep, keep a baby. Yeah. I am just amazed at your wisdom and, <laughs> and your kindness, you know, and, and your knowledge. I think we have to wrap it up. I, um, I, I do so thank you for taking your time and for, for being so courageous. And thank so you. I'm, I so appreciate that you're doing this because it's so important to get the message out and I'm willing to, it's wonderful for me to just show up for an hour and have a conversation. So yeah. we all benefit from it. Yeah. I appreciate you doing it. So our listeners can all now get your advice and switch to organic and save the planet at the same time. I hope so. <laughs> yes. And you make a good, good point about the carbon going into the soil, because I think glyphosate is a major player in the global climate change because it's interfering with the ability to trap carbon in the soil. And, and that's partly because it actually disrupts certain critical enzymes in photosynthesis. And I talked about that in my book. Yes. I think um, do we, we don't have any chance of governments stopping Roundup. Well, Mexico is actually doing that. Mexico is real. I'm delighted. They've, they're claiming by 2024 they're going to um, stop um, using glyphosate. And I think even perhaps not importing uh, GMO uh, corn, for example. I'm not sure of the details, but I know they're, they're going to stop using glyphosate. And America, U.S. is very upset with them for that. So we've been pressuring them. We're threatening, you know, to uh, punish them if they do that. So it's so wacko that we're trying to stop them from doing something so important. I really hope this works. And I think it will. They'll be our neighbor to the south and they're going to really shame us, I hope, into action. So we'll see. I, I, it's hopeful for me that uh, our neighbor is working so hard to uh, do things right. They really have the message there. And it's just really sad that the U.S. seems to be deaf to it. Next time I see the Mexican garlic in one of the supermarkets, I won't reject it because I only buy Australian and preferably at a farmer's market or something. But it's interesting. I'll have a closer look at the Mexico garlic that we have in our off season. Okay, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so very much. much, Stephanie. My pleasure. Chat. You've been listening to the 31st episode of the Regenerative Hour. You can find the other 30 Regenerative Hours on climatesafety.info or if you look for the Sustainable Hours podcast channel in your podcast player on your phone, for instance, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our guest today was the American scientist and researcher Dr. Stephanie Seneff, and she was being interviewed by Gundy Rhodes, who's a vegetarian, who's written the book The Food Solution, which we talked about in episode 30, and also by Rusty, who's our roving regenerative reporter up in New South Wales. Next week, the usual Sustainable Hour team will be back behind the microphones with a new episode of what's been happening around this world of sustainability, climate and regeneration. When we talk about biodiversity loss, I'm slightly troubled by the word loss because we haven't lost these species. We haven't inadvertently left them behind the shed. We've destroyed them or we've destroyed their 
habitats. We can do positive things, even at this very late stage. If we don't do them, life will be abjectly miserable or terminal for humanity. None of us wants that. What gives me real concern is just the lack of activity, is lack of urgency. I feel guilty that I've failed to motivate people to make that difference. This is a time where we really do have to step up. We've got to watch the programme, generate that affinity, and then we've got to act. We've actually got to do something to make a difference. And that's what's missing at the moment. Everything else, well, not everything, but a lot of other things are there in place. It's just that desire to act that's missing.